it's a richer conversation. More of myself pops up when I know that it is a brave space, not necessarily a safe space, for us to be able to talk about those things that are exceptionally crunchy, like cultural and social identity. So that's what I mean by cultural intentionality. That's Kiana Torres Flores, today's guest on the Group Dynamics Dispatch. Welcome to the Group Dynamics Dispatch, the official podcast of the Four Corners Group Psychotherapy Society. I'm Angelo Ciliberti, and I'm excited to share with you these conversations that explore what it means to live and grow within groups, from our early lives to our professional role as leaders. In these episodes, you will hear from some of the key figures practicing and writing about group dynamics from around the country and the world. It's our hope that these dialogues will inform and challenge so that we can all learn more about the rediscovery of self and other that can occur through rich emotional engagement in group. Today's guest is Kiana Torres Flores. Kiana is a multicultural clinical mental health counselor with a passion for social justice. Before becoming a therapist, she spent seven years in the public policy field, where she worked with state legislatures across the nation to develop strategies to help low-income families move up the socioeconomic ladder. Kiana has taught courses on cultural competence at the University of Colorado at Denver and has contributed to a book on the cultural considerations of working therapeutically with Latinx immigrants. Kiana works in community, bringing mental health services to underserved populations, promoting inclusivity in therapeutic practices, and bringing people of all backgrounds together in fun, memorable, and meaningful ways. The Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusivity for FCGPS, Kiana is also a native of Colorado, a proud Chicana, a longtime student of yoga, and a devotee of paleontology. On September 17th, Kiana and co-presenter Eve Wesson will be offering a workshop called Reflections on Humanism, Spirituality, and Identity. A registration link for the event is available in this episode show notes. We hope you enjoy this interview with Kiana. Well, welcome to the podcast, Kiana. Hey, Angelo. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be talking to you. So would you start off by telling us about how you discovered group work and what drew you to it? Sure, sure. So like any good graduate student in a counseling program, group was one of my required courses. At UCD, where I went to school, uh, there was a requirement to do 10 hours of group outside of the class itself. And you could do it at any time in your program. It didn't have to be while you're actually in group. Being the overachiever that I was, I was looking for groups like a year before I actually had to take that class. And I stumbled upon Colorado Group Psychotherapy Society. They were actually having a annual conference. And this is when Casey was president. That was my first group experience getting thrown into institutes and workshops, large groups blew my mind. I was like, holy crap, there's like a hundred people in this room and we're all talking to each other. Wild. But I was immediately hooked. I am a big fan of community activities and 
I believe like a big part of my healing journey has been greatly enhanced by being in community with other people and sharing and witnessing other people's journeys. So it immediately clicked with me. And I was also super freaking scared. (laughs) Here I am, one of the very few, you know, women of color who were at that conference and the only woman of color that was in my little institute group. And I was like still like a little counselor baby. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I knew I had to do it. So threw myself in. And I think the most striking thing about the institute I was in, it was a mindfulness institute uh, led by Andrew Van Dyke. And he was so gentle and tender with his leadership. And I had never experienced anything like it before. The other thing that blew my mind was how vulnerable people were. I had never, ever experienced people actually being able to say out loud, like, oh, I'm really scared right now, or I'm really feeling angry right now, Um, being really open and honest about what was going on in the here and now. In my family dynamic, it was very much just like, don't talk about it. Everything is peachy. And this was a very different experience because in the moment, at any given time, someone could have a feeling and express about it. And if it was towards someone, like they would talk about it. And that was a whole new thing too, because usually, at least in my family dynamic, it was like, no, you hold the grudge. You swallow the poison and you hope it goes away at some point. And that's not healthy, as you know. Talk about corrective experience, but also a really scary experience because I had no idea that these conversations could even be had. So it was frightening and encouraging and like such a blessing at the same time, just getting the permission to be fully human in, in one space with other people who are also on board with being fully human. Since then, I've been involved with. Well, now it's FCGPS, but I went to more institutes, more conferences, went to AGPA, which was a whole other experience. That's where Francis was one of my my first institute leaders at AGPA and blew my mind that too. I, I think part of it was like, oh, I didn't even know that there were people out there who dug on community healing as much as I did. Not all of them looked like me. Some of them did. And I actually ended up having a lot in common with people who didn't look like me and vice versa. I mean, I grew up in a predominantly Latino neighborhood or Latinx neighborhood. And all my schools were about 75%, very homogenous and very safe for me anyway. So getting thrown into that experience and again, having an expansion of awareness of like, oh, yeah, so we look different, but your anger feels similar to mine. You've been slighted. You've been through grief experiences. You've have finding that common thread of humanity is like and experiencing it in such a wide scale at AGPA, of a large group. It's <laughs> a whole other thing. It's a whole other beast doing large group with COGPS or FCGPS. 
and then doing an AGPA because then we have international opinions, domestic opinion. We have many communities, very different ideas, thoughts, life paths in the room. So it makes it like a really rich experience and potentially like wounding. There are a couple of times when, when I've left institutes and felt like, oh God, that was awful. I feel awful because of something was something that was said. Usually I would I'd walk away feeling offended or challenged or attacked in one way or another. That really forced me to be like, okay, so what's going on here? What's happening with you that you, you became so activated? And also, what do you want to do next time if this happens? I went from kind of continuing to swallow the poison the way I learned in my family and not talking about it to now when I'm in group, I'm much more comfortable. It's still uncomfortable, but I'm much more comfortable now saying like, hey, why you got to be like that? <laughs> that was yucky. You want to try that again? Instead of doing what I usually would do, which was to stay silent and then go lick my wounds by myself elsewhere. In a lot of ways, group grew me personally and professionally, but really in just being seen, which for me was a scary thing. Sure. And to be known mm-hmm. and to risk being known. Exactly. But it sounds like just those instances of having so much difference in the room, but still finding some commonality or shared emotional truth was very powerful, has been very powerful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure that I would have gotten to know myself the way that I do now without group, because there are so many mirrors in the space and in the room. So you went from attending and participating in these group events to deciding to jump in and take an active part in FCGPS's leadership. Would you talk about that? What inspired you to get involved in that way? Yeah, I, I mean, I was a member for a good minute. And then Mark asked me to join the board. I have a, a passion for diversity, equity and inclusion. And initially, I was still kind of figuring out like, okay, is this the place I want to be? Is this like where I want to dedicate my energy? Because one of the things that I noticed uh, throughout the conferences was just this big lack of being able to discuss social cultural identity and do it in a meaningful way, not in a way that checks the box. Like, oh, we talked about that. So now we are inclusive, you know? And like that echoed in so many ways, just other institutions I was a part of too. But because I got a choice whether or not to join this one, I had to really sit back and decide like, okay, if this is something that I want to do, I need to fill out a feel out are they willing to hear me out as someone who has this streak of passion and advocacy for these issues? I actually had a had like a whole string of, of feedback after one of the conferences. And I talked to Mark about it, who was president at the time, one-on-one. And he was very gracious and open, was able to hear and implement a lot of the changes that I asked for. That drew me closer um, so many times when I've had those kinds of conversations, people get defensive, dismissive, invalidating all of those. It's a hard thing to hear that, oh, maybe you're not as inclusive as you could be, given you know what your structure is. That conversation sticks out to my mind as like a turning point of like, okay, yes, I think 
I can give more of my energy, my time to this organization. And so uh, instead of, you know, jumping in right to the core of the executive, I decided to take a a beat and uh, start with the apprenticeship program coordinator position. It was a brand new position. I could make it my own. And I had been an apprentice for years at that point. And also kind of experienced a a lack of structure, which I really thrive under. So getting the chance to sort of provide some kind of policy and service to apprentices, giving them guidance and goals and code of conduct and, and all that jazz so that we could feel just a little bit more held by the organization as apprentices. And then eventually took on the role as diversity, equity, and inclusivity director. This was right when George Floyd was murdered, right when all of the political division was happening, Republicans versus Democrats, and so on, and lots of the protests that were going on. And in that moment, as things were sort of progressing, it became really clear that as an organization, as a board, we're very young still in our understanding of how diversity, equity, and inclusion can be not just implemented, but like completely integrated into the system itself. As a director, that's probably one of my highest priorities right now is how do we just gain the basic understanding of what does it mean to be an inclusive organization. And for for me anyway, it starts with our leaders having some sense of their own social and cultural identities and how it impacts their work with the organization. That's the goal right now is to kind of develop protocol, have really active conversations about who are we leaving out of you know our programming, our events, our membership. Who are we not reaching out to and why? Why is that? Not just in social and cultural identity ways, but also in like professional ways. There's a huge need for folks in agency to have this kind of training, but we don't have a ton of folks who work in agency who come in to our events. And I happen to be one of them. So <laughs> my big little goal <laughs> is to at least start the conversation with our board. And, and have us understand how our identities impact just how we're showing up to meetings, how we're doing programming and all that stuff, which is a pretty heavy lift in and of itself, as a lot of us do. Like, I think we tend to ignore that particular aspect of ourselves and just sort of go about our work and don't think twice about how, oh, how was my identity as a cisgender brown woman impacting who I'm asking for program, you know, all of that. How is that impacting how we're doing our work? So just bringing it up and having a conversation during our board meetings is sort of where we are right now is having the conversation of, so we have these identities in the room. How do they show up? How do they keep us from doing the work that we really want to do when it comes to inclusivity. Now, an organizational level, like a systemic level, I really think a lot of things can be done around how do we 
attract more folks who aren't just in the Boulder area. Like a, a huge part of our membership is in the Boulder area. And rightfully so. I mean, Naropa is really like HQ <laughs> of our of our membership. And not being a Naropian, being a, a graduate of UCD, I mean, I find tremendous value in being able to hook into FCDPS. So I can get that processing aspect so that I can get something beyond kind of skills process and all that stuff. I wonder who else is missing out on a, on a bigger membership kind of level. Who else is missing out on this kind of experience? Like I mentioned also that agency folks, I think, would benefit greatly so many. And Angela, I'm, I'd be curious to hear what, what your experience was. But so often in agency, it's like, come and sit in on this group for eight weeks and then lead it. Or I've also seen it where it's like, oh, you're going to do anger management. Here's the curriculum. Go do anger management without ever having to sit in on anyone doing it at any time. Just cold. You're supposed to go run a group. I'm sure there's a lot of us that could use this extra kind of training on how to be a, a good group leader. But we don't, we don't get it either because the systems don't don't offer that particular training or there isn't time. That's probably a lot of what I what I see is just like there isn't time. We need anger management right now. <laughs> we have 20 people who are clamming at the bit or chomping at the bit to do anger management. So you go do group. You're you're the body. In a lot of ways it's needed. I'd also say now more than ever in developing our capacity for diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially during these pandemic times, these tumultuous political times. One thing that I think group is really good for is seeing, like holding both the difference and the similarity. So I think if there's work to be done in the organization around that is having the discussion around how are we the same and how are we different? And how do we hold those two things at the same time? Yes, we're human, but also we have all these other identifiers that he could that could elevate our privilege or undercut our privilege and disenfranchise us. What does that mean moving forward in such crappy times where everyone is just walking around like a zombie, feeling completely exhausted on all levels? And I think FCGPS is in a unique position to sort of hold that conversation how to recognize both uh, similarities, but also differences and to be with difference. Yes. In a gentle way, but also in those big, passionate, rageful ways too. Like how do we sit with all the reactions that people get when they realize, oh, I do not see things that way. Or I do not see you that way. Yeah. How to engage in the emotional storm that's going to come with difference. And what is our role as leaders? And that's one of the things that I think that you really bring to and speak to and advocate for within the organization um, is the culturally intentional approach to group. And I wondered if you would talk a little bit more about that, what you mean by taking a culturally intentional approach and how you see the role of a group leader in those sorts of dialogues. What I mean when I'm talking about cultural intentionality is being able to bring in our social cultural identities and and then some into the room and make it known that they're active in our group space. Dr. Devine's 
came up with this uh, idea of broaching one-on-one therapy, being able to say within the first five minutes of meeting your client, hey, we're complete strangers. You don't know me. I don't know you. But what I do know is that we're different. I grew up from a different family. You grew up with a different family. I have different identifiers and so do you. And some of them you're going to be able to see on my face, on my skin and my body, but some you're not going to be able to see. And those are all important. And they come in with you into this room and mine come in with me too. So having a similar conversation, but in group and not just within the first five minutes, but throughout the whole life of the group. So that's the cultural intentionality part is being able to talk about it in the beginning and give people space to say, if they'd like, you know, what identifiers are really important to them. Because again, there might be some that you can see, but there might be some that um, I should say a lot probably that you aren't going to be able to see that might be important for us to know as group leaders. Likewise, like the, the conversation doesn't end there. Some really significant things might be said through the life of the group where it would be important to say like, wow, what's that like for you to say in this room as someone who identifies as a, you know, cisgender Chicana, especially if you are the only cisgender Chicana in the room, like that's going to be important probably. And not as a performative thing, just as like group leader seeing there is difference in the room and not ignoring it, honoring it and giving it space and time. And then, of course, allowing that group member to decide, like, do I want to go here or not? Part of the group leader's job, I think, is to honor that particular move, whether or not the member wants to talk about it or not. But I think it is, or it can be part of the responsibility of the leader to talk about it and bring it up, keep it in the sunshine throughout the life of the group. So that we're holding all parts of our members and not just, you know, the ones that we agree with or can see. I think it's a different holistic approach to doing group and really witnessing one another fully, wholly, and being able to wrestle with the things inside of us that cringe when we realize, oh, you're different than me. I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I don't want to be apart from you. I connect with you in this way. And I don't know if I like that either. <laughs> you know, it's a richer conversation. More of myself, I'll just speak for myself, more of myself pops up when I know that it is a brave space, not necessarily a safe space, but when it is a brave space for us to be able to talk about those things that are exceptionally crunchy, like cultural and social identity. So that's what I mean by cultural intentionality. And most of the groups, especially when I've when I've taught group theory, it just adds a whole other layer to the conversation. Like now we're not just talking about feelings. We're talking about here and now, there and then feelings about how we show up in the world and how the world sees and treats us. It's it's a whole other thing. The whole other thing. Well, and it's really supporting a very active style of leadership where it's not just broaching, but really challenging the group to look at and contend with difference and not just get pulled into the resistance and the complacency of wanting to kind of dissociate that aspect of it or just think, oh, well, we're all the same. Deep down, we're all the same. And then not really being with the fact that uh, we're not. One of my favorites that I've been told in uh, group 
it's not my favorite thing. That's sarcasm. I was, you know, a group member once told me like, oh, I don't, you're, you're just Kiana. You're just, you know, a person and I don't see your color and I don't, da, 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 da. I get the well-intentionedness of that statement. You know, you're trying to connect with me as a human being, as someone who, if you cut, you will bleed red unless you're an alien. And then if we were to talk about a time when we were angry, chances are we might have similar body sensations, maybe. However, social pressures, powers, oppressions act on me differently than they would this other person who happened to appear white and female. I had to have a very crunchy conversation about like, oh, thank you so much for trying to connect with me. And this is not the way to do it. To deny a whole part of me uh, that I live into all the time and I'm impacted by all the time. Like this is important to me actually that you see all of me, not just the parts that you connect with in me. And that was at a SEGPS Institute also. I've had many experiences like that that were so healing for me to because uh, many years ago I would have just been like, you know, see, please stop looking at me. Move, move along. But not to swallow it and actually push back and actually say there's more. Yeah. I'm more than the fact that I bleed red. Well, and I'm thinking about this presentation you're going to be doing with Eve and also another core value that you bring into groups, which has to do with spirituality. And I wondered if you would talk about that, how you see spirituality in groups and how you think about it as a leader, what the role of the leader is in introducing spirituality or creating a space for that to be talked about. Absolutely. And this is this is one of my emerging parts of me. I'm I grew up Catholic. Um, so one of my first group experiences was going to mass. And I remember as a kiddo, the first time I ever passed through the threshold into St. Joseph's Church, just feeling like this is different. Like, <laughs> like just passing through those doors that I'm sure hundreds and hundreds of people have been through. And many, many prayers have been said. Um, lives have been grieved, you know, marriages have been celebrated, you know, all, all of this under one roof with strangers and families and friends alike, all in one space to do one thing. I don't think I knew it when I was like five <laughs> passing through the threshold, but as I look back at it, it was probably one of the most powerful group experiences for me is going to mass, having all of our energy set to do this one thing and having there be, you know, ritual about it. There were rules. You sit, you stand, you sit, you stand, you know, you eat the little wafer that tastes like, oh, hey. Oh, thanks, Bella. I'll be on a bit, okay? That was my niece. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> it's one of the things I love about Zoom is that these moments get to happen. Yeah, so there was ritual in, in church. There were things you do, you don't do. There was rules. And then like one of my favorite parts was fellowship afterwards is going out and just like acting a fool and eating donuts and, you know, watching my mom drink coffee with our neighbors and, and all this stuff. Like one of my, my first group experiences with people outside of my family. So throughout my life, I've had this, this whole journey with spirituality where I dipped in pretty heavily into Catholicism, learned some things about it that I don't like. and really got interested in all kinds of world religions and practiced them 
became a yoga instructor and, and practiced bhakti yoga and did puja and all those things. And now I, I would identify myself as spiritual, but not religious. This, I still attend a non-denominational Christian church that's open and affirming. It's much more my speed and in align with, alignment with my political ideas. And at the same time, I still have a picture of the Virgin Mary on my wall. <laughs> because culturally, that's really important to me to stay in touch with that. Without my introduction into the Catholic Church and Mass, I'm not sure I would be a very spiritual person. I think spirituality is an interesting avenue to look through when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because so many world religions and spiritualities have this idea, right? Like sub ec all one. We're all one. We're all neighbors. We're all siblings. We're all connected, which I fundamentally believe is true. There's also this idea that we're all the same that goes on, I think, underneath that idea. And that's where I start to cringe a little bit. I'm like, yes, yes, we are. We are, we are the same in that we're human. But again, with these, like being in this earthly world, it still impacts me differently, even though I'm a human being. And I, I do feel kindred connection to my other earthly siblings, all my sentient beings, even this little squirrel I'm seeing climb up this tree. We're different. We have very different experiences of this world. But ultimately, that's probably one of my biggest dialectics to hold these days, that my destiny is tied up with yours. And your destiny is tied up with someone else's and so, you know, so on and so forth. And we create this big old web. If one of us remains ignorant to the oppression of others, then what's that mean for me? What's that mean for you? You know, if you're not free, I'm not free. And the perpetuation of that. Right. And that spiritually expands to just like, not just race, but gender identity and sexual orientation and income levels and Bella, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> so income levels. And families. And families. <laughs> <laughs> and what people do for a living, what they don't do for, a you know, all of that stuff. So it means that even people who are really different from me, not just different, but like, oh, this is what racks my mind. Like even people I wildly disagree with and maybe who in one way or another actually hate people who look like me. I'm connected to those people too. Oh my goodness. Spirituality like requires me to face up to that. That if I'm to do the healing that I need to in that space of feeling that everyone's life is precious, that everyone's life is connected to mine and, and deserves freedom and, and love and compassion and all that good stuff, then I have to face up to the fact that there are people out there who would rather see me dead for a lot of reasons that I might have to ex extend some compassion to. Oh, loving kindness meditation. One of the hardest things for me to do when you go the full stretch, not just Sending loving compassion to yourself and someone you know, a stranger. But when we get to the enemy, sending love and compassion to an enemy, oh man, is one of the hardest things. So one of the hardest practices I've ever done. Being willing to love in the face of hate. Yeah. 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 Just like me, you thirst. Just like me, you have shitty days. <laughs> 
just like me, you have sadness. Like all of that. Oh man, spirituality really kicks my ass in that way. Because there are parts of me that definitely just want to be like, screw them. They don't deserve my compassion. They don't deserve any of my time. They don't deserve any of my energy. No, I'm not going to do loving kindness to anyone except for the people that I connect with, period. That's where my energy should go. And spirituality really challenges me to do differently. Yeah, especially in a community setting, right? And I really appreciate the way you're framing this because it really sounds like there's so many parallels between spiritual community and group from the standpoint of a ritualized space where both the celebration of life, but also just the pain of life can be shared, can be acknowledged, can be witnessed, can be talked about, and then inevitably running up to difference, to even hatred. And then how we also work with the love and hate within within inside of ourselves towards the people that we're encountering. Oh, Cornel West talks about how when he looks at people he does not agree with politically, and he's actually really famous for being in deep, friendly connection with people who are wildly different from him politically. Oh man. I'm like, how do you do that? I'm so enamored with him that I got lost. Well, I'm with the enamored piece. (laughs) (laughs) So enamored with him. Oh yeah. Just the way that he is able to come toward and and not away, but Oh, I remember now specifically he was talking about Donald Trump and how he, he considers Trump a gangster in so many ways and how when he looks at Trump, he's like, oh, I recognize you. There are parts of you that I recognize in me. And I'm very familiar with like the part that can be really greedy and the part that can be motivated for self, highly egotistical, all these things. I mean, and that's an old concept too. Like there's, there is spiritual and religious traditions out there that like I'm thinking about A Course in Miracles in particular, you know, when you're seeing something in someone else that you really dislike, the practice is to look at them and be like, okay, what part of me might be reflected in this and seems really familiar? Well, it might not always be true. Maybe someone's really judgmental and you're like the farthest thing. And it's still worth paying attention to around like, oh, is there something in me that I'm realizing I don't like? You know, I don't, I don't like the part of me that would be really unmotivated. I don't, I don't like the part in me that would absolutely sell a, a family heirloom in order to get the highest price for it. You know, all of that. But likewise, it works the other way around too. Like, and of course, in Miracles, they talk about like, see someone and you're really attracted to them. Like there's something in them that's being reflected to you. You know, some people would call it God source or soul or whatever that's being reflected to you that is in you too. So if you see someone being really loving and caring, like my niece just came and asked me if I wanted to have breakfast. I'm like, I recognize you. That caring, like wanting to feed and and nourish. Like I recognize you. I know those parts. Those parts are are familiar. It makes it much more complex to put a spiritual lens on the diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's where I think that some of the juiciest parts of group are all those intersections and not getting seduced into othering. Oh, so easy though. Right. Angelo. Sure. The second you walk into a group, I'm all like, okay, who's like me? Who's not? Cause I got to find somewhere to sit. Right. Right. And no one wants to sit next to the leader. 
I'm going to situate myself somewhere I feel safe rather than like, okay, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to sit next to the leader. (laughs) Well, speaking of this leadership piece, I'm really interested to hear about co-leading with Eve and how this idea has kind of developed between the two of you, how um, the two of you have worked together from your different identities to really find uh, what it is you guys are wanting to express and how you want to lead together. Anything you want to speak to about that? Oh, I love me some Eve Wesson. So even I uh, met at FCGPS during a large group and had just like a really powerful experience. I think it was actually the one where we were talking about privilege, oppression, and power. Forget what year that was, but I was having a really difficult time because the way that we were, we were talking about inclusion and equity in the large group felt very surfacey to me as a person. And I've spent my whole life thinking about these things, my whole life, without having any of the language, without having any of the academic time to spend with it, just knowing in my bones that I was a minority, knowing in my bones that I was marginalized in some way or another. I just called it like, I feel funny. <laughs> like when I, was, I feel left out when I was a kid. So there, there are all these sort of foundational concepts being thrown around and me being really frustrated with that to the point of tears. Um, and Eve was sitting next to me and we actually had a chance to connect a little bit beforehand. And she, as I was just like losing my shit, she gently turned toward me and said like, I'm here for you. And it, I'm going to get cheerful just talking about it right now. She had no reason to be that kind to me. And she was. And immediately talk about soul recognition. I saw something in her that felt so familiar. And turned out she went to Smith. They put this work at the center of all the things they teach. So she knew the language. She she knew the the feelings I was tapping into and like the rage that I was having in that moment too. And it turns out that we actually had a lot in common. And Eve, I'll, I'll let her talk about her own identities, but we couldn't be more different, at least in our identities. We, we couldn't be more different. But the ways that we are the same are that we think that people should be nourished and, and cared for and loved and should have equal access to, to getting to all, all of those ideals. So who better? to co-facilitate a group on spirituality and diversity, equity, and inclusion um, than someone who believes similarly to you. And at the same time, we have very different experiences of these things. Um, Like we both get caught up in different ways in dominant narratives. She is one of the few people in, in my circles that I feel really confident she'll be like, Kiana, do you really want to have said that? (laughs) <laughs> are, you, are you being a, a little misogynistic right now maybe i don't know possibly uh, that, that was probably one of the biggest check boxes to, to check for me when i have co-leaders are they able to challenge me and in, in, even in front of the group maybe even especially in front of the group and that that goes both ways obviously 
I'm a big believer in modeling for the group, you know, what rupture and repair can look like between co-leaders. I've seen it done so well at these conferences um, just a few times. And those moments have stuck with me when leaders have like come to verbal blows and then they're like, oh, you know, I see your point. Oh, I see your point too. Okay, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. But we're with the group. What does the group think about what just happened? (laughs) You know, it becomes a group experience, that conflict. And what a powerful gift. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just in all the conversations we've had, I trust her completely to be able to have that rupture and repair with me in a group. I also really appreciate when I'm having conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion, to have two people who don't look like one another doing the group too. And not necessarily because of what kind of power dynamics there might be, but to also provide the, the modeling there of, oh, look, you can, you can be really unlike someone else and still work and play well with one another. You can still get into conflict and fight fair. Maybe not fair, but maybe effectively. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> to fight for the relationship in some ways. Right. 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 And all that can happen while we're holding these differences at the same time. Because the similarity is like, oh, yeah, we want this relationship. Well, how cool for you guys to both embody that and to show what it looks like to really be in process and to continually engage it, what it takes. I'm really excited. For it. She and I actually have never done a led a group together. We've been in a bunch of groups together, but never led one together. So I'm excited. Both of us have a whole bunch of group leader experience. And mostly I think we've we've both done solo and some co-leader, but this is gonna be a new experience for both of us. We're both trying to be brave. Oh, I think you are being brave. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And this is not one to be missed. So I will definitely put a link in the show notes to how people can register for that training. Well, Kiana, I don't want to uh, take any more time away from uh, your niece. So, And I want to thank you so much and thank her for being willing to share you this morning with us. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you, Kiana. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. And I hope everyone gets a chance to check all our events out, not just ours in September. We got a lot of fun things coming up in the next year. So it's a great reminder. Yeah. Thanks, Kiana. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Group Dynamics Dispatch, the official podcast of the Four Corners Group Psychotherapy Society. If you'd be interested in supporting our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback for us or have suggestions for featured guests and topics, please feel free to email us at podcast at fcgps.org. Also, visit our website, fcgps.org, to stay updated on future conferences, workshops, and training programs. We appreciate your listening and support and hope to see you at one of our events soon.